Hello there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of WSAV Now Sports. Andrew Goldstein here recording late on Thursday night, December 16th. Got to go do a show in about 35 minutes here. First one in a long time I'm doing without Connor Delpreet. Feels weird. Feels bad. I don't like it. You know what? Most people assume that folks on TV like to hear themselves talk, and that's true in some cases. I don't. It feels weird when I don't have anyone to bounce things off of. You know, when I'm doing highlights or something on air, that's one thing. I got source material. I'm, you know, I'm reacting to something. Here, when I'm just looking at my desk wall, talking into the void, eh, not so much. So anyways, these banter segments are probably going to be a little bit shorter. Uh, Other changes you may notice in the podcast over the next month or so, uh, they are probably going to release later at night on Thursdays or maybe even into Friday just because, well, there's one person in the sports department instead of two. I'm still committed to getting these done. It just may take a little while longer until we get someone else in here. We're targeting mid-January for that to happen, and I'm really excited to welcome a new member of the WSAV sports team just as excitedly as Connor welcomed me a year ago. So we're going to get someone good in here. We are going to keep the standards high, and we have a lot to talk about in the meantime because, who boy, Urban Meyer went out in a blaze of, what's the opposite of glory? Ignominy? Ignominiousness? I don't know what the proper parlance for that word is. Uh, Urban Meyer went out disgracefully pretty much fired as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars after a 2-11 start to the season and a whole bunch of stuff off the field. It was reported that he had kicked, like physically kicked, Josh Lambeau, former field goal kicker for the Jaguars, uh, and the team had apparently known about that for several months. So the timing of Meyer getting released on the heels of that report little bit suspicious and that was sort of buttressed by all the other stuff that Meyer had done both the big when it comes to uh, the bar video in Ohio and stuff like that and the I'm not even gonna say small I'm just gonna say relatively less big like saying that safety Andre Cisco had played and was developing well when in actuality he hadn't even played a single snap in the Jaguars' most recent loss to the Tennessee Titans. It's just bad. It's really, really, really bad. Nothing good came of the Urban Meyer saga in Jacksonville. You can argue that, well, they took Trevor Lawrence, they drafted whoever, they signed whoever. Yeah, those things were going to happen without Urban Meyer. I'm talking, what did Urban add that would not have happened anyways? The answer was nothing. Wow, just what a disaster. When Shad Khan, the owner, sat at Urban Meyer's press conference this past January and said, I got this one right, who boy, that is as badly as anyone has ever misstepped when it comes to confident predictions. I I know hyperbole and hopeful talk is sort of the hallmark of those introductory press conferences, but wow, that one is going to take a while to forget. And I was thinking about something that I heard uh, Ryan Nanny of SB Nation say when it came to college coaching hires, but I think it's applicable to the NFL too. There are, broadly speaking, 
two routes you can go down when it comes to a coaching hire. You can try and make a smart, sober-minded hire with the goal of winning football games, or you can just try and make the fans as happy and as excited as possible. And I feel like Jacksonville might have gotten caught up in the second one of those. Because remember, last offseason was going to be the offseason of Jacksonville. They had two first-round picks, including number one overall. They were going to take Trevor Lawrence. They had the most cap space in the NFL and did not hesitate to throw it around. The Jaguars were not just going to become, hopefully, on the path to being good again, but also on the path to being interesting again, right? Because this was, ever since the 2017 AFC Championship game, just kind of a boring franchise. Nothing really notable about them. You know, Jalen Ramsey had left. The core of the Saxonville defense that powered that 17 championship run, they were gone. And it seemed like Jacksonville was just kind of irrelevant. And I feel like the ownership and the brain trust down in Duval County might have just bought into the let's get people talking about us thing a little bit too much. Uh, and look, I pointed out some good things about the Urban Meyer hire at the time that they made it. So I'm not going to say I was dead set against it or anything like that at the initial hiring phase. But that being said, there were pretty obvious concerns both about his capacity to coach in the NFL and his character, uh, you know, that would impede him from being a successful NFL head coach. I mean, Jacksonville sort of I guess felt comfortable bringing in Meyer after he had demonstrated pretty poor judgment handling uh, domestic abuse allegations against his staff members at Ohio State. Uh, he obviously really didn't uh, improve much morally when he got to Jacksonville, and that was pretty apparent within the first month or two of the season. And it's amazing to me that someone who has done the things Urban Meyer has done, can go teach a class at Ohio State about leadership, that could write a book about leadership, that could go on Fox Sports to pontificate about what's broken with other people's teams. Look, nobody doubts that Urban Meyer was a brilliant tactical mind in college. I don't believe all the stuff where people are saying, oh, he just had the best players. He did not have the best players at Utah when he designed an offense that was well ahead of its time and made Alex Smith the number one draft pick. He didn't have the best players all the time at Florida. You know, there were other programs in the country that recruited right up there with him, and they didn't win as consistently as Urban Meyer did. So I think he deserves credit for developing the tactical side of his portfolio in a way that not only bolstered his coaching career, but that led to a lot of wins, that led to two national championships. But that being said, it was completely absent from his performance in the NFL. If you saw that viral clip of the two wide receivers running into each other uh, against the Titans, that's pretty much the summary of how his time as a offensive mind in Jacksonville worked. And then his shortcomings not only didn't improve, but they got worse. Man, the Meyer thing... I just can't wrap my head around how it went so bad. I mean, to sign a coach to a five-year contract and to not even have him get through year number one. Year number one, where 
expectations were minimal. Minimal. All you had to do was win like five games, show some promise, maybe hang around against better teams for most Jags fans to say, well, not the most terribly exciting of seasons, but I'll take it. And Urban Meyer so dramatically undershot that. And I think it's not just the on the field stuff. It's him losing the respect of the people that he needs in the locker room. Marvin Jones Jr. storming out on him. I mean, <laughs> Marvin Jones was a part of Detroit for a decent chunk of his career. If you have a guy who played on the Lions happily for years storming out of your locker room, you messed up, man. I don't know what else to say. James Robinson, we all know about how he went back and forth between benching him, then J-Rob would have a good game, and then he'd disappear again, and then Meyer lied about whether or not James Robinson had an injury. It's just all really, really bad stuff. So, you have to cut bait with him. Now the question is, where do you go from here? Daryl Bevel is going to come in, take over a Jaguars team that still has four games left, they're going up against the Houston Texans, a team they lost to in Week 1, a team that's also 2-11. And by the way, that Week 1 game, the last time Trevor Lawrence threw for more than one touchdown, three touchdowns in that Week 1 loss ever since then. I mean, if you just look at his last, uh, I'm just going to say, uh, you know what, let's just go one, two, three, four, five, six games. One touchdown, five interceptions in those six through four against Tennessee that is a season high for him right I'm going to talk about this a little later with Brian Sexton who is the senior Jacksonville Jaguars correspondent but he's at a crossroads right now he can rebound from this rookie season and go on to a lot of success as many quarterbacks have but he can't allow those bad habits to set in too deeply right now Lawrence is running for his life behind an inadequate offensive line. He's getting no help from the running game. He has route concepts that make no sense, that don't really space the field. There was a stroke of bad luck having DJ Chark and Travis Etienne out for most of the season, or really for all the season, but it is so disheartening to see bad coaching and bad roster construction lead to the regression of a quarterback that a lot of people had a lot of high hopes for and that I think people should still have high hopes for but I can't help but think about Sam Bradford with the Rams where I don't think he's necessarily the same caliber of prospect as Trevor Lawrence is the same principle he was brought in as the number one pick franchise type quarterback he spent three four years with no weapons bad coaches getting killed behind a terrible offensive line and when he finally gets into a decent situation, he has no pocket presence anymore. He can't set his feet because he's so used to running for his life all the time. He doesn't really step into his throws. You know, I think Trevor Lawrence's size and his innate physical attributes are going to help with that. Once those bad habits set in, it is very tough to pull a quarterback back from that. And a lot of times those bad habits are not learned as the fault of the quarterback. They are ingrained in you from what you have to do when the guys around you, both coaches and players, 
just aren't good enough for you to develop properly. So I think that is the situation in Jacksonville right now. They had to get rid of Urban Meyer to save Trevor Lawrence's career. All right? I think if he gets a good coach, I think if he gets a few more weapons, if Chark and ETM come back healthy next year, that's going to be a much better situation for him. I think we'll really start to judge who he is as a player. But this season, wow, basically a lost cause. And I hope Daryl Bevel can just stitch something together for the last four games that will give this team a little bit of a reason to believe going into next year. All right, we're going to talk more with Brian Sexton later on in the show. I want to touch on National Signing Day because that was Wednesday, and we saw a lot of surprises nationally. I think the biggest one, you got Travis Hunter out of Collins Hill, Class 7A champion, going to Jackson State. Instead of Florida State, where everyone thought he was going to go, Hunter is going to Jackson State and Coach Prime in Deion Sanders, the number one recruit in the country, number two depending on which recruiting service you ask, but it doesn't really matter. This is a huge coup, not just for Jackson State, but for HBCU football in general. I think the name image likeness era has opened it up so that if you are a Travis Hunter, you're a top five recruit, if you're a five star, if people all over the country want you to come play for them, you can cash out and build your brand no matter where you go so long as the product on the field is up to snuff. And I think that's what Hunter is about to do at Jackson State. You know, not only is he going to learn the ropes from one of the best, but if he can build his brand there and start sort of a movement towards HBCU schools among recruits, his earnings potential is massive. I mean, already he's rumored to have name image likeness stuff going on with Barstool or whatever brands are aligned with Dion down there. Uh, that is a substantial amount of money. I mean, I don't want to toss out exact figures because I don't have firsthand knowledge of the situation, but suffice it to say that a school with an $8 million budget, athletics-wise, beat out a school that goes $155 million in the same category. That isn't happening unless that athlete is getting taken care of financially uh, through NIL. And everybody who said, oh, well, name image likeness is going to make it so only the top couple schools get all the best players, it's impressive because they ended up being wrong on two counts. First of all, the nation's number one recruit just went to an FCS school, so I think that sort of disproves your point. And then secondly, that's exactly the way it was before. I think Christian Gokel from ESPN Coastal tweeted this out, but 43 of the top 100 players in the nation were committed to just three schools, Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M. And I'm willing to bet you, uh, if you go back and look at the top 100 prior to NIL, you would find much the same. You know, you might swap out Ohio State for Texas A&M. It might be 35 instead of 43. But same principle. So I don't think name image likeness has really put a dent in the oligopoly at the top of the recruiting rankings. But I think what it has done is open it up so if a particular athlete really wants to play close to home 
or really feel strongly about going to an HBCU, if they want to make sort of an unconventional choice, they can do that. Because in the old days, Travis Hunter would have had no way to cash in on his abilities while he was in college. So the best he could do was go to an Alabama or go to an Ohio State, go to a school that would increase his future earnings potential in the NFL. That's pretty much the only indirect way he could make some money. Obviously, top recruits, families get paid under the table all the time. I'd be naive to think they didn't, but I'm talking about direct payment to him, basically. Now, with name, image, and likeness, if you got a kid that is, say, uh, make up an example, Mr. Minnesota in football, five-star recruit out of a Minneapolis suburb known all across the state and really wants to stay home and play at Minnesota, he can now monetize himself and do that uh, while still having a pretty good shot at making the NFL, as opposed to the old days where, yeah, you might have that shot at making the NFL, but you'll get a better one if you go to Ohio State. And in the meantime, you're not able to make any money off of yourself whatsoever. If someone wants to make an against-the-grain sort of uh, counter-popular decision, name, image, like them, um, name, image, likeness frees them up to do that. I think that's a great thing. And in terms of our area, guys, not a whole lot of surprises. I don't think anyone did the baseball hat thing, much like, um, much like we saw across the country with Hunter up in Collins Hill. You had Gurner and a Benedictine signing to Auburn. We've talked a lot about Holden Gurner on air and on this podcast. He's a fantastic quarterback. And with Bo Nix transferring, I think the road is wide open for him to start at a really early point in his career there. Brian Harson likes him a lot and with good reason. Hilton Head, you got Jalen Sneed going off to Notre Dame. Top 50 type of player. He's going to be playing in the Under Armour All-American game. Him and Marcus Freeman have been tight throughout the recruiting process. Sneed said that, look, Brian Kelly, he wasn't the one who recruited me. Marcus Freeman was the one who recruited me. In fact, prior to Freeman being named the head coach, Sneed came out and said, if y'all don't name Marcus Freeman head coach, I'm going elsewhere. So the fact that Freeman was elevated, that players seem to really like and respect him, and that Sneed really likes and respects him, I think that's all critical to keeping the centerpiece of that Notre Dame recruit class where he is. Jaquez Williams, South Florida, out of Jenkins, continuing on that warrior tradition of sending kids to Division I. Actually, Jenkins has among the highest number of college football players, active college football players, of any school in our area. Someone, I forget who, did a list of all the Georgia high schools ranked by number of active college football players. And I think of the schools in our area, Jenkins might be the most in class 4a i think more than benedictine even now that's sort of a holdover of those great jenkins teams from three and four years ago i think the scales are gonna tip towards benedictine once this senior class gets in there and certainly when the next one does but still kind of interesting over at southeast bullock you had tyler griffin committing to central florida big physical dual threat guy running back and wide receiver he's going to play with thomas castellanos over there out of ware county that's going to be fun rodney hill and kanaya charlton both committing to florida state 
Hill, a running back out of Bullock Academy, Charlton, an offensive guard out of Brunswick. I think they're going to be a real dynamic duo together. You know, people were talking a lot about the decommitment from Hunter from Florida State, and I think that's a huge deal. You saw the fire Mike Norvell Twitter space. And yeah, Florida State had a really bad signing day in terms of their top targets. That being said, they're getting two really good players in Charlton and Hill. Rodney Hill missed a lot of his senior season due to an injury, but the Seminoles flipped him from Virginia, and when he is sort of popping, when he is at full strength, not only can he be a dynamic runner out of the backfield, he can catch passes too. He can give them a sort of screen game, a check down game that can open up the rest of their offense. And then Charlton was part of an offensive line that really set the tone for this Brunswick team. I mean, him and Jamal Merriweather were beasts for the Pirates, leading them to an undefeated regular season, region championship, all that good stuff. So those were just kind of the highlights from our area as far as signing day was concerned. Wanted to take a second to run all that down. Okay, I got to go prepare to do a show. So I'm going to bring on Brian Sexton, the senior correspondent for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Two notes about this interview. Number one, he had to go run and do the Daryl Bevel press conference right after it. This was filmed like 30 minutes beforehand. So when he says things, keep in mind that he had not spoken to Daryl Bevel yet. And I think there was a partner interview where he makes that clear. Second thing is that there were some audio troubles, a few glitches, particularly on his end. I think his Wi-Fi signal was just a little bit busy with everyone in the building filing in for the press conference. So uh, if you notice that at all, just breeze right past it. It's intermittent. It doesn't sort of degrade the quality of the interview. I will try and get a lot of them out in editing, but if one or two slips through, mea culpa. So... Ladies and gentlemen, that is the podcast for me for the week. And without further ado, here's our guest. All right, we're back now with Brian Sexton, senior correspondent for the Jaguars, been with them for nearly three decades. He told me before recording that he has seen just about everything, but I feel like this uh, season is really pushing it. Brian, when we started this journey with Urban Meyer back in January, I imagine this is not how you had in mind that it would end. No, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I, he didn't seem like the perfect fit for me at the time. Uh, I thought that he was coming in and taking over an organization and, and never having been in an NFL organization, plus integrating a rookie quarterback. That seemed like a big lift to me. It seemed like that might be cumbersome. Sean went out the day that he hired him and said, look, I got it right this time. So he invested a lot of his own personal credibility in Urban Meyer. So I expected something entirely different. That having been said, I didn't expect what happened the first weekend in October in Columbus, Ohio. Um, you know, you can point to the long laundry list of all those things, but that moment, everything changed as far as I was concerned. Sure. Well, let's actually start there because the sort of straw that broke the camel's back, as far as I can tell, is the report that Meyer uh, kicked or in some way physically accosted former kicker Josh Lambeau. Uh, we knew from his college days that Urban Meyer had various personnel problems, various off-the-field concerns. And yet reports from people who know him say that, look, even with that, this is a fundamentally different level, like a different Urban Meyer than even what they had experienced back in college. You know guys around him. Have you been hearing the same things? 
I've been hearing some grumbling, you know, but look, when you're two and 11, guys grumble. So you have to, to, to put that through a lens and try and figure out what's what. And look, Andrew, COVID has totally changed the dynamic in the Jaguars building, in every building, uh, because where I could walk across the hallway, go sit down and Joe Cullen, the defensive coordinator's office before, you know, now I'm not in the same tier level and, and I can't just go wandering around. So it's, it's tough. You hear the grumbling, but you don't know for sure because you don't have the same level of contact with a lot of these guys. There is a divide between those who are on that tier one and the rest of us. So I've heard it. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure if, if the um, I'm not sure if the if the, the Meyer uh, kicking Josh Lambeau was it. I think it was just well timed, to be honest with you. I think it was just uh, fortuitous in the sense that, you know, you're thinking about making the change because he'd been thinking about making the change. And then here comes this last story. But, you know, they've known about that for a couple of months. It wasn't like it was a new revelation um, that he had had this interaction with Josh Lambeau. I mean, they, they, because of the legal issues, they'd known about it for a couple months. Sure. So if they have known about it for a couple months, how is it being handled inside the building prior to this report coming out? Did you have any sense of that? No, no, I had no knowledge of it, to be honest with you. I'd never heard of it. Now, all of a sudden, everyone wants to tell me what they knew and how could you not know this? But it was not well known. Uh, you know, Josh hasn't been here for quite a long time. Um, and it was a legal issue. And you know how people are around legal issues. They tend to, to soft sell that. So, but to be honest with you, Andrew, just to, to, to guide it back, it really wasn't about the Josh Lambeau thing. This was a bad fit. Urban Meyer is not a professional football coach. Uh, the level of commitment that it takes is all-consuming. And, you know, based on his history at Florida and Ohio State, I'm not sure he was able to give you all-consuming. Um, what I do know is this. It's all about the quarterback now. They have Trevor Lawrence. And having been here as long as I have, they've never had a quarterback like this. And the owner knew that he couldn't let this linger. So he did what I didn't think he would do. He acted decisively. He acted swiftly. He made this change because he knew that he couldn't linger. When you have a guy like this, like, like Trevor Lawrence, you can't let this one lie. Yeah, let's talk about Chad Khan for a second. The news broke late last night after midnight Eastern time. From your understanding, was the decision made shortly before that, or was the decision made several hours or even a day before, and we're just yeah. now hearing about I've it? I've been told it was made last night. Oh, I've been okay. told that so it, he may have been leaning one way or another, but I'm told the decision was made in the hour leading up to the uh, the release of the uh, the statement. So it was it was a last night decision. And look, it's a consequential decision. When you let a head football coach go during the season, it is a very difficult decision. And not just because of money that you may owe him, but all of the lives. Remember, Ur Urban Meyer hired all these coaches, and he 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 brought in staff members on the football side, and they moved to Jacksonville, relocated their families, tried to give them some sense of stability. Well, when you uproot the coach, you also are uprooting the staff that he brought in here. At least it seems like a new coach will bring his own guys. You don't know. So it was a very monumental decision, and he didn't take it lightly. Um, but he also couldn't, when you balance that with the quarterback, well, the quarterback has to win, right? Because that's what this league is all about. When you have one, you must act in his best interests. Yeah, and I want to get to Trevor in a second because I think he's in sort of a crossroads type of position here. But just to stick with uh, Shad Khan, sure. you said that he had a lot of his personal credibility wrapped up in this. He stood at the podium and said, I got this one right. Now, obviously, sure. you haven't had the chance, I'm guessing, to talk to him since the decision came down. But he no. had been 
at least thinking about this, leading this way. I mean, he issued that statement in October saying that Urban had to regain some trust. So, you know, he at least was thinking that maybe he didn't make the right choice, at least before this. Have you gotten any sense of self-reflection on his part where he says, hey, maybe I didn't properly take into account X? Like where, you know, from I got this one right to now, what lessons has he learned? Do you have any sense of that? No. And I, I tell you what, because he's not here very often. Right. I mean, it's not like he ha- he's got a corner office and he walks around the halls. He's an international businessman. Right. And even though he's connected to the franchise, he's not here. And he's certainly not taking the time to share thoughts or reflections. Um, here's what I do know. He spent a lot of time over the last year because, remember, they started talking to Urban Meyer January before last year. Right. At the Super Bowl following the 2019 season, he was starting that investigative process because he knew that he was probably going to make a change with Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell. This was not, it was not a short, quick decision on his part to uh, hire Urban Meyer and to take on this risk. And it was not a short decision for him to get rid of him. I mean, he'd been contemplating it since, and well, at least since the end of September, early October. Um, and you know, the, you can chronicle, you, I mean, you could put a graphic up and show all of the different missteps that Urban Meyer had. Um, you know, that's common knowledge at this point. But I, I, I think what made the decision difficult also made it easy. And that is, is that he couldn't worry about what people are going to say, well, Shad Khan made a mistake because he knows with a quarterback, that would be a greater mistake. He couldn't let this thing linger. Yeah. And I want to switch over to personnel now. I want to zoom in on Trevor in a bit, but here's sort of one of the more disappointing aspects of the on-field aspect with the Meyer regime. It seems like last offseason, people were saying, well, you know, if Trevor has a good year and the free agent pieces gel and, you know, this guy performs above expectation, this might be a 500 team. I mean, there's talent here. Now we're in December and it feels like we still don't really know what the potential of this team was because, you know, for instance, how do we know if James Robinson is part of the long-term plan when he's been used so inconsistently, you know, how do we know if Marvin Jones uh, can be wide receiver two or one when the coach wide receiver relationship was so soured, it feels like there was some lost opportunities to evaluate the talent in that building. Do you feel the same way? Well, or is I, that sort of not the way it is? No, you're right. And look, that's why he's gone. Uh, we can talk about Trevor at length, and I, and I can. But the reality of it is, is that this year was about progress, Andrew. At the end of the year, I don't know if you can see my hand, that's the arrow. It should be pointing up. I'm not saying that this team needed to win seven, eight, nine ball games for me to feel like they made progress. But at the end of the year, they should be playing better. The quarterback should look more comfortable. There should be something they do on each side of the ball. Run the ball, stop the run, you know, uh, take the ball away, run the ball, whatever. There should be some things you can hang your hat on. And as at this moment, there's nothing. We've seen nothing. You Well, the Jaguars do this. Well, they've got that. They've got the quarterback. Other than that, you can't say, well, they made progress this year. And that's why Urban Meyer is gone. This team, this town should be excited. It should be, okay, wait till they pull out the checkbook. Remember, they're going to have the second most dollars in free agency as of today. They have 12 draft picks. People should be excited. They're not because they haven't seen progress. That's why Urban Meyer is gone. There is talent on this roster, in this locker room. Enough to compete for the playoffs? No. But enough that they could be four or five wins ahead? Absolutely. This team should have its arrow pointing up. And right now, it's not. 
Sure. And that brings me to Trevor because he's the perfect example of someone where it's so hard to separate where his struggles end and the coaching problems begin. On the one hand, hasn't thrown a multi-touchdown game since week one. You know, that arrow really is not trending in a good direction for him. On the other hand, you know, I think you may have seen the viral clip of the two receivers basically running into each other last week. It's really hard to succeed when that kind of execution and those kinds of route concepts are what you have to work with. So I know it's a complicated topic to sort of unravel, but I want to just ask you, as someone who's been watching pretty intently, where do Trevor's struggles end and the coaching and execution problems with other people begin? Well, it's a domino effect, I think. Uh, First of all, they didn't do a good job at building a roster around him, okay? Uh, If you're relying on DJ Chark, who the coach said that he didn't think played well last year, didn't play as big as he was, and a rookie running back who, by the way, never made the field for the regular season because he broke his foot, that's not enough speed. I mean, the coach said speed, 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 speed. That's all you've got. The minute those two guys were gone, all of a sudden you were hamstrung. So they didn't do a very good job as they built this roster. Second, as he struggled recently, they have asked him to throw the ball more. Now, part of that, obviously, is the injury to James Robinson. But you had Carlos Hyde, and they didn't even try to run the ball as much. They had six rushing attempts last week. And they were, I don't never felt like they were in the game. I'm sure you felt the same way. But, you know, in the third quarter, they're still only down two touchdowns. I mean, there's a chance to get back in it. You don't have to abandon the game and put it in the quarterbacks, which brings me to the quarterback. He's essentially been playing in the red zone the entire season, which means a compressed field. You know what it's like in the red zone. The safeties are 10 yards off the ball most of the time because there's nowhere to go, but they didn't have to go back. So now all of a sudden you've essentially got eight or nine guys in the box stopping the run. So running the ball is impossible. And then you've got no one to go deep. So stretching the field and throwing the ball becomes even more difficult, which makes your offensive line look inept. They can't run block. They can't pass block. What are you doing with these five guys? So it's really hard to evaluate the quarterback. His fundamentals have fallen off a bit, but he's running for his life. He can't find anybody down the field. He can't even build this thing. I, they didn't do a good job with the roster. They had a chance at the trade deadline. They had a chance when Odell Beckham Jr. was on the waiver wire. They didn't do anything. They sat still. Um, they could have done a much better job than they did. The quarterback is going to be fine. He is a really talented player and a talented person on and off the field. I don't know whether you saw his his press conference yesterday. That's what I was going to ask you about next, because it seems like he always says the right thing. Well, beyond the right thing, look, it's courageous for a guy with two wins and nine touchdown passes coming off a four interception game to stand in the breach like he did yesterday and say, the drama's got to stop. If we're going to go where we want to go, the drama has to stop. Hey, look, I don't know whether his intent was to call the coach out, but he threw the gauntlet down as far as I'm concerned and grabbed this franchise by the face mask. It's his now. It's not about the coach. If they bring Byron Leftwich in here or, or whoever, you choose a name. I don't know who it is, but you choose a name. It's still all about Trevor Lawrence. And yesterday, he proved to me that he earned that. This kid is going to be just fine. They've got the draft capital and the salary cap room if they get this thing right to be able to go and put weapons around him. The arm strength is there. The mobility is there. The decision-making is there. I don't have any issues with that. He needs to tighten up some of the fundamentals from the things that I hear from people that I talk to. But most of that is just, he's just scrambling for his life. And fundamentals get thrown out the window by a rookie quarterback who's got three guys chasing him. Yeah, looking forward for Trevor, there are plenty of quarterbacks that have had disappointing rookie years and gone on to do great things. I mean, Peyton Manning being the most prominent example of that. 
I we struggle went, to think of very many quarterbacks who have shaken off two or three disappointing years to start their career. So Trevor's already at this, again, early crossroads moment. What has to happen for him to go down more of that Peyton Manning-ish path than the other one? They have to have a dominant run game. Uh, you must have a run game for a young quarterback so that play action gets set up. And then they need to go find not one, but two guys that make a defensive coordinator go, okay, where's 18 and where's 81? I got to find those two guys. Right now, defensive coordinator just says, play it straight. They don't have to worry about anything. They can do anything they want because the Jaguars have zero people that threaten a defense beyond the line of scrimmage. Next year, there's got to be several of those kinds of guys if Trevor Lawrence is going to be able to take that big jump in year two. There's plenty of quarterbacks, as you mentioned. Peyton Manning, the most prominent, a Hall of Famer. Three wins, 28 interceptions in his rookie season. So, I, again, I don't think that, that there's any reason to worry about Trevor. Uh, if a year from now we're still talking about him struggling, okay. But at this point, I think the, the circumstances and the talent around him are much more significant to his struggles than his abilities. Sure. Two final questions, because I know you got to run and go get to Daryl Bevel's press conference. I want to start there. Interim sure. head coach in this position is really one of the toughest jobs in all of sports. You're taking over a franchise that knows it's not going to the playoffs, a locker room that is really not in a great way. And you just kind of have to hold it together, knowing that a lot of guys probably won't be back next year. What is the head state of Daryl Bevel and this team going into this Sunday's matchup with the Texans? Well, we're, we're going to find out. He's talking here in a little bit. We haven't had a chance to catch up with him. But, you know, from what I do know of Daryl, and again, Daryl's first year here, he's been on the other side of the hallway, and we haven't been on the team airplane and able to sit and get to know him and pick his brain. But from what I know of him, and he did this last year, remember, he was the interim coach in Detroit. Um, I it, 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 Let me answer it this way. I watched the team on the practice field today. I expect them to come out and play really well, free, if you will. Uh, they're playing for a guy they know has done it before. The, uh, the cloud of Urban Meyer, which has been circulating around this franchise, is now gone. So I imagine that Daryl is just going to ask guys, because this is what pro coaches do. Do your job, right? This is what we're going to run. Do your job. Don't worry about plus two mentality or, or any of that stuff that, that the college stuff that the coach brought. Just come in here and do your job and let the coaches call the plays and go and execute them. If they do that, if they get the running game going, you got a Houston team that's limping in here in the same circumstances. I expect the Jaguars to come out on fire on Sunday and get a win. Yeah, and then my last question, you mentioned the coaching search and potential of Byron Leftwich, and there'll be plenty of time to get into all that later. But I do want to highlight one coach that's been doing probably as good of a job as he could do under the circumstances, and that is defensive coordinator Joe Cullen. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know what his future is going to be like, but I feel like he really has been a bright spot for the franchise this year. Do you expect him to – uh, either be a contender for that coaching job or stay on through a coaching change because he seems like the kind of guy that you would want to keep in the building. You know, it, sure. And I've known Joe for years. Obviously this is his second stint here in Jacksonville. So he's a guy that I can tell you about a, he's a first rate human being. And that matters, especially with what we're seeing going out the door. It matters to have someone like that here. The players love him. They respect him. And as you've seen with no help from the offense, they have continued to play hard. He's a smart guy. He's a tough guy, and he, to me, is absolutely a guy you would want to keep as your defensive coordinator. But then we don't know who the head coach is, and the head coach may have a fundamental disagreement with the 3-4 scheme or the Baltimore defense, which is what Joe Cullen has been working to instill here. 
Um, but Joe Cullen is absolutely what every staff needs. That veteran guy who has been through the, the wars on and off the field, who understands how to put together a defense and then call it on Sunday. He is terrific. Um, I would love to see him stay. Yeah, just real quick before you go, like one, two sentences. Does the next head coach need to be an offensive guy for Trevor, or do you not think that's important? I don't think so. No, no, I don't I don't think that's important at all. Uh, he has to have a philosophy and a coaching staff in mind if he's not an offensive uh, uh, coach, but I don't think he has to be that. The, the most important thing, Andrew, is to get the right person to lead, a guy who will lead with a heart for his team, right? That servant-driven leadership that Gus Bradley always used to talk about. Now that you've got a quarterback, go find me that servant leader that will work hard in the best interest of the team. And I think that you'll be able to turn it around pretty quickly. I can't say who that is. I, you know, I gave you the guy that I would like to see. Um, but, of course, he works for Tampa Bay. So we'll see. All right. That is Brian Sexton, senior correspondent with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Thank you so much for joining us on what I imagine has to be a no sleep 24 hours for you. It's been uh, before I let you go, where can people find you online, social media? I'm not a social media guy. I'm at Jaguars.com, baby. You can find me there. All right, Jaguars.com. Keep it simple. We like it. Yeah, Thank you great. so much, Brian. See you later.